0: Being over at the State House, you're in a place that's unlike any other place in the state of Maine. You're at the fulcrum of our democratic process. It's kind of like a college, it's kind of like a coffee shop, and it's kind of like Grand Central Station.
1: Pete Didesheim is NRCM's advocacy director, and you've heard him on this podcast before. But this time, we recorded from the State House. Pete has worked at the Capitol for over two decades as an advocate for policies that protect Maine's environment. And if you've ever wondered what exactly goes on at the Statehouse when the legislature is in session, or if you want to figure out how you can play a part in all of it, Pete is the right person to talk to. You're listening to Maine's Environment, Frontline Voices, and here's my conversation with Pete, which starts on the third floor of the Statehouse.
0: This is where all the activity is. The House is down at that end of the hall. The Senate is at the other end. We're right in the middle. And as I look around, I'm seeing legislators, lobbyists, members of the public. I see reporters. I see staff. I see people that know exactly what they're doing. I see some people who look a little bewildered. But there's a lot of commotion. And this is what the floor looks like before the session begins.
1: I'm hearing the sound of two different bells, this sort of steadier ringing is the bell for the Senate. Senate, Yeah. right? And the other?
0: Is a ding, ding, ding. So these bells are like the bells that are announcing that recess is over. Members of the House and the Senate are wandering around in the building. They've just had their party caucuses. They've met before the legislative session begins to plot out their strategy for the day. Each meet separately in their own office spaces and they talk about the day's business. And those bells that are ringing are signaling 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 to the members of the House and of the Senate that they need to get up to the second floor and get into their seats in the chamber because the the day of business is about to begin.
1: Are they going to be punctual?
0: Um, So they're supposed to come in at 10 o'clock and if you look at the website it says, you know, the session begins at 10 o'clock in the House and the Senate. So legislative time can often mean that 10 o'clock actually is 10.15 or 10.30. It depends on what they've been talking about in their caucus. And it may be that just one party, like the Democrats, are in their caucus and they're really debating something out. And it's not until both caucuses of the House have broken that they actually start the session. And the way that the session begins is the Speaker of the House walks in, she gets up to the dais, she gavels down her wooden gavel and opens up the daily session. Thank you.
1: So now we are in a balcony overlooking the House. What do you see?
0: Okay, so the first thing that I see, which is pretty interesting, and it's new to me, which is this year in the House and the Senate, the Speaker and the Senate President decided to mix up the seating. So we have Democrats and Republicans sitting next to each other all over as I look down on the chamber. Yeah, I noticed that. And it didn't used to be that way. So it used to be that all the Democrats would be on one side, all the Republicans would be on the other. And so this was a decision to start off this legislature with a effort to achieve more bipartisan conversation, uh, relationship building, with the goal of hoping to build coalitions that cross party lines. So that's one thing that I'm seeing. I'm seeing various legislators, including a lot of freshmen, streaming in from their party caucuses. And when
1: you say freshmen, you're talking about?
0: New legislators. So we have a really big class of brand new legislators, 49 legislators, because Maine has term limits. Each legislator can only serve a total of four two-year terms in each chamber. So we have a whole bunch of new legislators, newly elected legislators, coming in after each election and a pretty sizable crop of of legislators who are term-limited leaving at the end of, of each session.
1: What's going on here? We have the speaker and... Item right
0: 12 is House Legislative Sentiment 62, sponsored by the representative from Dixfield, Representative Pickett, and co-sponsored by the senator from Oxford, Senator Kahn. State is it Maine, the pleasure of the, the alarm, House that this reading be dispensed with? with it's a vote. The chair recognizes the representative from Pittsfield... Re- that person that sounds like an auctioneer is the clerk of the House, Rob Hunt, And he is the master parliamentarian of the House. What happens in both the House and the Senate is they are processing an incredible number of documents. Bills, proposed legislation, communications from agencies, special sentiments from legislators. And he and his team are the traffic police that are managing all of that information, all of those documents and moving them through. Now what's happening when you're hearing the Speaker of the House speaking on top of the Clerk of the House, he's reading a communication from the Senate and it's similar when he's reading a bill. And the rule of the House is that he needs to read the entire document, but that would take forever if they read every bill, every communication. So what's happening instead is that the Speaker of the House for efficiency purposes is offering a motion to dispense with further reading of that document. And then says, is it a vote? It's a vote. And so they are able to cut off the complete reading of the document and move on to the next document because that's just a more efficient way to process these documents. So
1: each time we're hearing that gavel, they're on to the next one?
0: It's a vote and they move on to the next document. And at this point in the legislative process, what's happening, we've only been in session for a month and the legislature is supposed to be in until June 19th. So it's still early in the process. So the main thing that's happening now is in the committees. So bills were introduced at the end of December about 2,000 different bill titles were introduced those bill titles are being turned into individual bills those bills are being printed and brought up to the House and the Senate and what they're doing is they're referring them to committees they're sending these bills down to a committee and the committee is then where all of the work happens for most of the next three or four months So of those 2,000 bills, that is the lion's share of the work of the committees to hold hearings, to decide what to do with those bills, to report those bills out, either passing them or defeating them. in the majority of these bills that come through the process will, in fact, be defeated. Only about a third of the 2,000 bills will be signed into law.
1: So we're hearing the speaker talk about these bills. And because there have been no objections, that means that they're going to be sent to particular
0: committees? Yes. And she's indicating which committee it'll go to. Bills are being referred to the Committee on Environment and Natural Resources, or on Energy, Utilities, and uh, Technology, or they're going to the Transportation Committee. And so there can be a debate over which committee should receive a bill, and sometimes that's a significant debate.
1: Today we haven't heard any objections. No.
0: Procedurally, coming up, the bill has been printed and the, and the legislature is deciding, let's send it down to the, to the committee that makes sense for this bill.
1: So let's talk about committees a bit more then. So who is on each committee? How is that decided?
0: There's 13 members on every committee. There's three senators and 10 members of the House. And the party in control of each chamber uh, selects their chair. So right now, the Democrats control the House and the Senate. So both the House chair and the Senate chair are Democrats. Then the ratio of party members, Democrats versus Republican, reflects the total ratio of Democrats to Republicans overall in the chambers. So there's a majority of Democrats on every committee. And there's slight variations from committee to committee, whether it's eight to five or or nine to four. The committees are where all the work is done. The committees are where public hearings are held on every bill that's introduced. And the really interesting thing about the main legislative process, and it's not the case in the US Congress, and I don't know if it's the case in other states, is every single bill that's introduced gets a public hearing. And for every public hearing, Any member of the public can come and testify and they can testify in favor of the bill or against the bill or they can just say, I testify either for or against. But it's an incredibly open process where the public can come in and share their point of view on the bill. That's where lawmakers really get an understanding of what Maine people think about a particular bill.
1: That's pretty amazing. How many hearings are they sitting in on in a year?
0: For the Environment and Natural Resources Committee, I think they have 79 bills that that they expect to receive this year. A few of those bills might be lumped together in a single public hearing, and members of the public can come in and speak to any one of those bills or all of them at once, because there's many bills that are on a similar topic. But there'll be between 50 and... 60 public hearings and thousands of people will come to the state house to participate and share their point of view. Now some bills only get three or five people to testify and some will get a hundred or 200 and they'll have, overflow rooms where they're broadcasting what's happening in the main committee room because that is already stretched to capacity in terms of of the number of people that can attend.
1: So you're saying then that members of the public can testify at these hearings. Are there any other agencies or groups that are there? I know that NRCM plays a role in the hearing process.
0: Oh, absolutely. So this is the big thing that NRCM does is we follow every single bill over at the State House and the ones that we're particularly interested in we go and we participate in those public hearings and we testify and we uh, share our point of view with legislators in the hallway during the legislative session and we uh, work with those committees to try to pass good bills to amend those bills to defeat bad bills And so NRCM has six staff who are over at the State House in front of various committees, sometimes literally several committees at the same time. We might be testifying on different bills. Sometimes there's a substantial number of lobbyists who are allies of ours, and there may be lobbyists who are adverse to our point of view on that bill. So there's kind of a clash of ideas that happens around many bills. There's legislators who can speak on bills. So the individual legislator who introduces a particular bill is usually the first one to speak and presents the bill and describes it a little bit. And then other legislators can present in support or against that bill. Then it goes to the relevant state agency. So if it's a bill dealing with air quality or water quality, then the Department of Environmental Protection would have a bureau director or a technical expert or maybe even the commissioner speaking on behalf of the administration, either for or against the bill. Then a variety of other people from different walks of life will testify, and and there might be consultants or business owners. It's really fascinating.
1: Yeah, I mean, it sounds like then that in one given hearing, you're seeing probably a lot of different voices from the state, so not just the governor's administration, but advocates, citizens. And could you just give us an example of a particular hearing that stands out to you or testimony that you have never forgotten? What made the difference?
0: There's so many different public hearings where the hearing itself, the people who showed up, the heartfelt testimony that was delivered had an incredible difference on the outcome of the bill. And that's one of the important takeaways that people really need to understand is that those public hearings are really important. They matter and the voices that are present at those public hearings are heard by legislators and they can completely swing the outcome of a bill. So we've had amazing public hearings over the last eight years when there were many proposals to uh, weaken Maine's environmental laws and NRCM uh, has kept a record and we've been involved in a process of defeating about a hundred bad bills. And in almost every case, those bills were defeated because Maine citizens showed up in force to testify against them because they didn't want to weaken our environmental laws bills that would have weakened Maine's mining laws people came down from Aroostook County who didn't want to see their rivers, lakes and streams polluted with arsenic pollution and other sulfuric acid pollution and they discussed the multiple generations of their families that have fished in certain rivers and streams and how important continuing to protect that water is for future generations and It was just priceless. There have been some really interesting hearings on renewable energy and on solar energy, on climate action where the entire room is packed with people, and there's a spillover room packed with people, and there's people in the hallway, and they've all come to Augusta to urge legislators to pass legislation that would uh, make solar power more readily accessible to homeowners, to businesses. And generally, we have, over the last, in recent years, passed those bills, and then the governor vetoed them and and we came very close within a vote or two of overriding the veto, but now we're in a new day with a new administration, with a new legislative landscape, and everybody is anticipating that we have a very good opportunity to pass many proactive, positive environment and clean energy and climate action bills that we haven't been able to pass over the last eight years.
1: So are there any options for for people to weigh in on the process if they can't be there?
0: Oh, absolutely. It's always a good idea to communicate first to your own legislator, but you can always send communications right into the committee clerk on a particular bill.
1: So these public hearings happen, and then what's next?
0: Okay, so shortly after a public hearing has happened, then the committee schedules a work session. And the work session is when the members of the committee reflect on what they have heard and they make a decision about what they want to do about this bill. Do they want to amend it? Do they want to pass it as it is? Or is there really not very much support for the bill and they want to vote ought not to pass? Sometimes they will schedule multiple work sessions. If it's a big bill and it requires a bunch of work, they need to make some amendments. They need some more uh, understanding about certain issues. It may be that they schedule a couple three work sessions and then they finally get to a point where they're ready to vote. Ultimately, they need to vote on every bill and their options generally are vote ought to pass or ought not to pass or ought to pass as amended. So it comes to a vote and they vote the bill out. As I mentioned, probably only about a third of the bills that are referred to committee are recommended to be passed as is or with amendments. So two-thirds of them are killed, and those bills do go back up to the House and Senate, and they're put in what's called the dead file. So those bills are literally, um, you know, dead to us. Um, And then those bills that are reported out uh, when they go back up to the legislature, some of those, there are pretty substantial differences still between members of the legislature about whether that bill should be passed by the full rank and file of the House and the Senate. And so there may be pretty substantial debates on some bills. And a debate can last 10 minutes, it can last two hours. And that's where things get really interesting for the rest of the lawmakers, the rank and file. Because a committee is just 13 people, but then it goes up to the full House, which is 151 legislators, or the full Senate, which is 35. Those lawmakers then need to kind of come up to speed with those particular proposals and figure out how they want to vote, and many of them have very strong feelings, often informed by their own constituents' point of view on those bills, and so there'll be a debate, and that'll also come to, then, a vote. These bills need to pass both the House and the Senate in the same form before they are sent along to the governor.
1: So I'm just thinking about the fact that there are hundreds of bills being considered after these hearings take place. So how are legislators keeping track of this? What influences their vote and how do they keep track? How do they decide what they'll do? You just mentioned that they understand the voices of their citizens, but what else is going on?
0: That's a great question. It is hard for them to keep track of everything it's hard for anybody to keep track of that many bills. So the, the bills that most legislators can keep best track of are the bills that are going through the committee that they sit on, or committees. And that's still a lot. When the bills come up to the full chamber, it's often the case that legislators look to some of their friends, some of their colleagues, people that they trust, who are sitting on the committee of jurisdiction, and they talk to them to figure out, how should I vote on this? I know that this is an important issue. You know, I'm hearing from my constituents. I'm still a little bit confused. Can you help me understand, Which, you know, how are you going to vote? Lots of legislators do look to others to guide them. Many do an incredible amount of homework. And one thing is really clear, that for a conscientious legislator who wants to feel like they're doing the right thing on these bills, they have to do a lot of study. They have to be learning all the time And that learning process is part of what's exhilarating over the Statehouse because people are learning about these issues all the time.
1: And I'd be curious to know the decision-making process um, and how it differs between someone who's been at the Statehouse for a long time versus, you know, one of the freshmen, as you were saying. I imagine that there's sort of a a learning curve to how this happens. I mean, for freshmen legislators, who do you think they're talking to or who might they trust?
0: So for the freshmen, um, and I've spoken to a number of them recently, it really is like a fire hose. There's just so much coming at them in terms of process and in terms of their responsibilities and the information associated with the policy issues on their committee of interest. And it's a bit overwhelming for some of them who are trying to divide their time between their part-time or full-time job and being a legislator and possibly being a parent. It's a lot. So, they're doing the best they can. They really depend on also lobbyists who have trusting relations with them to be giving them information. And I should have pointed out that obviously the advocates help legislators understand an issue, hear the different points of view. And, you know, we're advocates. So, we're making our case to legislators all the time at the committee level and then up at the you know, the rank and file level, urging them to vote a particular way on a bill. And if we've gotten to know them through multiple sessions and we've developed a trusting relationship, then they often will take our guidance. If they're brand new and they're freshmen, And sometimes they really want to hear from a lot of different voices because they haven't really developed a set of relationships with the advocates, yet to the point where they really want to go with that advice.
1: It seems like the statehouse is very much built on trust. And so NRCM works to get to know legislators so that they know that we can be a resource for them if they have questions about particular bills.
0: Absolutely. So our basic job over there is to have conversations with people and to develop relationships, and to be viewed as trusted sources of information. And it's really important for us to be responsive to legislators who are interested in knowing about an issue knowing about the potential consequences of passing a bill, understanding the history of it. So what our policy advocates do, and we do it as well as anybody, is we spend time at the state house. We interact with as many legislators as we can. We provide them with good information that's, you know, as you can imagine, if you're a legislator and there's like thousands of bills flying around, the information needs to be accessible. It needs to be pretty brief. It needs to get right to the point. If they want more information, we're available to get Give them the details and go down in the weeds but we really try to craft our information so that it's very accessible to anybody and they can quickly understand the issue so that's a big part of what we do and it's really all about relationships it's really important for us to spend time with legislators and understand what their priorities are understand about their district understand their point of view and how they connect to Maine's environment almost every single legislator over there loves this state and is passionate about some aspect of Maine's lakes, rivers, streams, wildlife, coast, you name it, and our job is to figure out how we can share common ground on different policies moving forward. And for some legislators, we may only agree with them on one issue, and they may disagree with us on a lot of other issues. And our job is to, through relationship and conversation, figuring out Okay, let's find how many issues we can agree on. And we want to help you with the information that helps you vote the way we think Maine people want want you to vote.
1: Just hearing you talk about this, you have over 20 years of experience at the State House. And so I'm curious to know, having worked and spent time in the State House for 20 years, can you just give us some of the things that you love most about it?
0: I think it's an adrenaline rush. I think it's really exciting. And I think it's, um, being over at the State House, you're in a place that's unlike any other place in the state of Maine. You're at the fulcrum of our democratic process. It's kind of like a college. It's kind of like a coffee shop, and it's kind of like Grand Central Station. So it's kind of like a college in that you have legislators who can serve a certain number of two-year terms. They can serve eight years, but instead of four years as a, as a college student. But they're there. They've got deadlines. They're They're learning information. It's fascinating. It's fast-paced. And they're trying to do the best they can. It's kind of like a coffee shop, because you've got all these legislators who are chatting about the topics of the day, and sharing information, and and getting to know each other, and, and also at a kind of a community level. And then, like Grand Central Station, there's so many people kind of moving in different directions all the time, and it can look a little chaotic and bewildering. But there is method to the madness. I mean, people know where they're going, and they're getting there with a purpose. So... That's kind of what it's like. What I like about the process is it really is democracy in action. This is people from around the state coming to the State House or sending communications to their elected representatives communicating to them about their hopes and aspirations for how to make Maine a better place and these elected representatives who are there committing an enormous amount of their time and energy to public service To be participants in this process and do the best they can to try to craft laws that make Maine a better place. There's very widely divergent points of view about what actions, what laws, what policies are necessary and workable and fundable, but it's all getting kind of mashed together in a process where. Although it's imperfect, people are trying the best they can to come up with solutions to real problems that are facing Maine people every day of the week.
1: It sounds to me that one of the reasons that you love this so much is the excitement and the relationship building and just everything that's happening um, in a given moment. But what would you say to someone who is hearing this and thinking, it sounds a little overwhelming, what can I do, how can I play a role, you know, a citizen? We've talked about public hearings as a way for people to raise their voices writing to their legislators, what else might you recommend to someone who's listening who says, you know, I want to go to the state house. I want to play a role in this, I want to see this?
0: Uh, that's a great question, and it's the right question. And here's my answer. So my view is that the policy process is a contact sport. And so if you're just sitting on the sidelines griping about it, it's not enough. You have to contact it. And there's lots of different levels of communication that people can pursue. At a minimum, you can send emails to your legislator, you can call them, their phone numbers are available and you can place a call and and share your point of view. You can request an opportunity to meet with them at a coffee shop or, or meet them somewhere in your local town, or you can come up to the legislature and you can meet them in the hallway, or you can testify at a public hearing. And fortunately, in the state of Maine, there is a very open legislative process where you can show up at the state house and pre- be pretty confident you'll be able to talk to your legislator. Uh, many state legislatures, you can't even find your legislator. Your representative and senator are protected from you by a phalanx of staff. So Maine lawmakers have essentially no staff, and they're not getting paid hardly anything and they're citizen lawmakers and they are very accessible and you can just walk up to them and have conversations. And that's what's really kind of the thrill of it all. You can have conversations with your elected representatives And they are supposed to be representing your interests. You have voted for them, or even if you haven't, they're representing you. So share a piece of your mind with them on issues that matter to you in whatever form you can. And if you can develop a relationship with them and communicate with them on a regular basis, I can assure you that they, over time, will come to see you as someone whose point of view they can count on. They may not always agree with you, but you will be able to influence them the interesting thing about the legislators here in Maine is that yes I've mentioned that there's tons of people involved in the process but there's so many different bills some lawmakers will only hear from a very small handful of people on any particular bill and sometimes if they get five communications or ten communications they feel overwhelmed and that it, it completely affects their point of view and how they're going to vote on that bill so I do want to encourage folks to understand that even one communication, or if you can get three or four of your friends to communicate in on a particular bill, that may tip the balance in how they vote on a bill. I've seen it over and over again where legislators say, yeah, I was overwhelmed with communications from my constituents. And I would say like, so how many communications do you get? He says, well, I got, geez, I got like eight phone calls or yeah, I got five postcards or 25 emails. Those are small numbers and if numbers like that can affect the outcome of, of a particular legislator's vote, and we do that across the whole state, that's how we win. And we've proven time and time again that that is how we do win. It
1: sounds like what people need to know is that the state house in Maine is open, accessible, and dependent upon the voices of the public.
0: Absolutely. It only works if people participate. And the history of Maine's environmental protection efforts and what NRCM has done over the past 60 years is to help involve people in the process, equip them with the information they need to know, that they want to know about the process and the bills, and to help them participate. And by participating, they make a difference.
1: Thank you, Pete, and thank you for listening to NRCM's podcast, Frontline Voices. Please check out our website to learn more about our annual event, Citizen Action Day. On April 2nd, 2019, NRCM staff will join NRCM members, supporters, and podcast listeners like you for a day of advocacy at the State House. If you want to join us, you can register at nrcm.org. Thanks again.